Business as Unusual is a thought-provoking podcast that explores the innovative strategies, disruptive ideas, and unconventional practices driving successful leaders and companies in the ever-evolving world of modern business. Subscribe, comment, and share for weekly inspiration with our host, Aisila. Hello, greetings. <laughs> greetings, so wonderful to see you. Thank you yeah. for being here today. Awesome to be here. Um, this is uh, Business as Unusual, uh, a podcast about people who are creating the new normal or a better world, however you want to think about it. And obviously, I don't know how many years you've been doing it, decades, uh, <laughs> you've been out there making the world a better place and through many different endeavors. Uh, so I don't know if you want to share a little bit about you, that and what you've been up to. Well, it's awesome to be with you again. Of course, we had the great, I had the great privilege of watching you back in, oh man, I can't remember what year it was, but in Boulder, we got to work together. Mm -hmm. It was a joy yeah. and a gift. Um, so I'm so excited to be working with you on this and anything you're doing, because you're always doing something positive and progressive. As far as my work, as you know, for the last 30 plus years, I have been a writer and author of seven books, you know, doing my work, speaking, uh, doing activism, organizing conferences, summits, gatherings, whatever I can do to do my part to help make the planet better to help make, you know, to heal our, our community and our planet and our globe and the people who live on it. And so I'm really excited to talk about some of these key issues that are going on in the world today on your show. And I love business as unusual. That is such a great title because <laughs> it's like we're changing the norm. Absolutely. Well, and the tagline I have is I'll see it when I believe it. And I was, I feel like that's, and my son actually said that. And I was like, no, that's actually going to be my tagline. Cause <laughs> I feel like so often we can't see something until we let ourselves believe it's there. And, yes. um, all, uh, so I don't know if you remember Mikey, but, uh, he says, uh, he says, are, are we getting another story? And ah! I, I, said, I said, yes, we're yes. going to, we're going to get a little reading from your new book. Yes. So I have it with me today. <laughs> It's uh, Sheep and the Wolves. This is my seventh book and third novel published by Noble Trinity Enterprises. And uh, I'm excited to later on in the show read an excerpt from it and do my put on my storyteller hat, which is my favorite okay. thing. That's my medicine. My writing yeah. is my medicine. Yes. And it's a medicine for us. I, I've always so moved when you share what you've created. It's a it's a powerful gift. It's a and a genuine blessing to everybody. So thank you for Obviously. being willing to offer that. Yes. Um, so I had a couple, I sort of, and we, we have a couple options here. We could kind of just go along um, and talk about uh, what's happening in the world. Um, I did want to ask you one thing, because you, obviously the work that you do can be kind of discouraging and demoralizing for 
as said other things. So how do you, uh, where do you go for inspiration? How do you keep yourself um, in this place of, of developing and offering when, when there's so many uh, burdens between yes. you and that? Yes, thank you for that. Years ago, I realized that I had to do my activism differently, that I was out of balance. I found myself really consumed by the the energy of it all, the anger, the rage, and it was, you know, morphing into bitterness. And I did not want to walk in that that energy and that vibration. I felt like that was ineffective, not to mention it was harmful to my health. Yeah. The other piece of it is so many activists sadly either end up dying young, end up, you know, losing their homes or, you know, having to live places that they don't want to live or you know, battle depression and mental health challenges. And part of it is because of those pressures that you're describing right now. So I decided to create a new paradigm with my activism and to make radical self-care. Yes, the stress, absolutely, Mikey. You know, mm -hmm. to, to make self-care and radical self-care, you know, a priority and my own sustaining a priority. And I said, I'm going to not only do this for me, but I'm going to try to model it for other activists and healers and community workers. And so I flew to the back of the formation, Aisola, for a period of time. And I decided that, you know, I was going to do my do my work in a different way. So I just really started using my social media platforms. I started using my journalistic ventures, my writing to do my work instead of being on the front lines and organizing so I could heal. And then mm. once I healed, I came back with a stronger resolve and a shift uh, in consciousness. And I'll tell you what that is and the viewers what that is, is I decided not to fight anymore. Instead mm -hmm. of fighting what I'm against, I now cultivate what I'm for. So I'm, I'm for mm -hmm. equality. I'm for, you know, gender equality. I'm for ending racism. I'm for increasing love. I'm for, you know, eco-sustainability of the planet. So I, the work that I do is to cultivate those things versus fight against the opposition. I shy. I just want to, yes. it's beautiful. Yes. I feel that. Yes. Well, and it's more effective. It's, if you oppose something, right? Yes. If you tell me I don't like this thing, I can avoid that thing, but it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to move no. towards what's actually the, the thing we want. So by cultivating the world you want to see, you actually give a stronger, more powerful direction, not yes. just for yourself, but for anybody who wants to opt in. That's yes. beautiful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, so here's a, another one. What what would be different in the world or what will be? Because if we know you're going to be successful when you achieve your vision. <laughs> wow. Oh, my goodness. If I could create the perfect world in my mind. Um, and I think in some ways I've been blessed to be able to be to see glimpses of that and to be part of many worlds that exemplify that. Even working with you um, when we worked in Boulder together. I saw glimpses of that world in the work that you were doing and the work that I got to do while I worked with you and beside you, you know, because we cultivated the energy of inclusivity. 
of peace, mm -hmm. of understanding. Here we were, these, you know, two powerhouse folks, you know, doing our work side by side and and being able to coexist in peace and in, you know, respect and honor. So we know it can be done, that we can yeah. cultivate spaces like this. And then in my community, um, 22 years ago, I had the great fortune of becoming the shepherd of a spiritual community called Ile Ori Agbe Egun, which is a Yoruba Ifa temple, you know, based in earth-based spirituality. And mm -hmm. so I got to, you know, see it in those spaces where we have people, all walks of life, every life expression, it feels like sometimes, every ethnic background, all ages, you know, represented, voices represented, working together to improve humanity, improve the planet and the communities we live in. And then the I Teach Love Institute, the Healing Racism Academy, um, the Institute for Transformative Education and Collective Healing. And so I'm listing these institutions because I feel that they're part of the root work that can help give birth to new paradigms. You know, um, one of my elders, Dr. Haki Matabuti, and his mentorship of me, this, this guy, he founded Third World Press, which is one of the only st still existing African-American publishing entities. And he told me years ago, he said to Shia, he said, give birth to institutions. He says, because institutions far outlive the people who find, you know, who found them. And he says, uh, and, you know, with, with people, if all we do is like, you know, try to become leaders, he said, you know, you can cut the head off a leader and the movement will stop existing. And we've seen that over and over again. Mm -hmm. Like when you kill, you know, Huey Newton, the Black Panther Party almost fell, you know, when you look at these other organizations, these flagship organizations, and when they got rid of the leader, the movement died. And so that's why I focused on building institutions versus, versus excuse me, being a leader myself. And then the other thing is I try to give birth to more leaders. So in, instead of amassing follow, followers, I wanna give birth to leaders. I wanna teach people to lead themselves <laughs> to be empowered within themselves. Because that way, if we have, you know, a hundred Ifala De Tashia Santis, a hundred Aisalas, then, you know, the work is always gonna continue no matter what we do or have to do to take care of ourselves. So yes, and oh man, what does it look like? It looks like food for everyone. It looks like the redistribution of wealth. It looks like, Peace for how people express their gender and their sexual identity. It looks like respect for that. It mm -hmm. looks like respect for religious diversity. It looks like gun control laws that actually work. It looks like, you know, everybody taking a part in ending racism. It yes. looks like you know, women's bodies being honored and their right to have sovereignty over their bodies being honored. So, I mean, I know this is like, <laughs> no, you know, and it, no, that's yeah. the dream. We, can't, we cannot get there if we don't envision it. Yes. I, uh, uh, you, I think, you know, Duanita Mosby Tyler and, Oh yes. absolutely. Yeah. A few years ago, she and I were having lunch and talking about inclusion. And she said, 
what would an inclusive world look like? And I was just like, I asked that question of myself almost every day. Like, what? I don't think I know. I've never been in that world. <laughs> so we have to describe it. We can't create something we don't have an understanding of what, how, what it is. So um, I, I want that. I like that world right there that you just described. <laughs> that's, me, I, that's what I want. <laughs> Yes. And yes. yeah, and everybody feeling that involvement in in the these um, these damaging things. Yes. Like I think a lot about colonialism and that British exceptionalism that that we've taken on as Americans, and the ways in which that is so harmful to people of mm -hmm. color, to women, to people um, who aren't highly wealthy, and mm -hmm. A, you know, privilege in a variety of ways, and the um, and it's so baked into the the and normalized, yes. like that it it um it takes. I feel like it takes a couple decades to recognize all the places that it's infected. You, it's like air pollution, right? Like you breathe it in, it's in your right. lungs, but you don't actually know because you're still getting air, yes. <laughs> so you still breathe, yeah. but it's harming you, and you don't, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's painful. It's so painful. Yes. And then you asked the question, how do I, you know, sustain myself in the midst of doing the work? So I talked a little bit about that. But I want to say one of the big things that I do, Aisla, is that I celebrate every success, no matter how small. Yeah. Right. I even celebrate the no's mm -hmm. because the no's represent the fact that I ask. So even yeah. if I get a no to me, that's something to celebrate because that means I was out there, you know, trudging, doing my work. So yeah. I think it's important that we celebrate every milestone, everything that we do, because we're so conditioned to just like do it. Like, especially I think women do the work and we are so busy doing it that we don't often even stop to go, Hey, you did that. Like you did that, <laughs> you know, Yeah. So I'm doing better about sitting in and staying in the things that I am able to be, successful with but that's really important no and i don't know if you have this i feel like if i if i i don't mind celebrating with myself and i've been working i've similar working on but there's that part i don't be too showy you know like right, i don't right. want to i <laughs> i don't want to you know and at the same time it's it's that moment of saying okay yeah i gotta i gotta keep myself sustained in this process because it's a it's a marathon and then it take a while um sadly uh yeah. Yeah. and um yeah and what is the what is your best advice that you've received or you've heard come out of your mouth and been like oh that was good man I think I had the in my journalistic career one of the interviews that I'm really proud of was I got to interview Ramona Africa and her son who founded the uh, MOVE organization, which eventually what would become the Black Panther Party. Mm -hmm. um, she and John Africa and um, Ramona Africa was one of the people, along with this young man who was with her when I interviewed her, they were one of two survivors in the bombing of MOVE headquarters in Philadelphia many over three decades ago. And I asked her that same question. I said, you know, what do you need? What what do you do? You know, what is some of the best advice you've been given as an activist? 
And one of the things she said was to take care of myself first. And I want to say that's one of the things that, that I've really tried to learn how to do and master doing. I'm still a work in progress with it, but mm -hmm. I'm getting better every day. The other thing is one of my master teachers, Oloye Ifa Karadek, who initiated me as a Yoruba Ifa priestess, who mentored me in so many directions in so many ways. He used he had some quotes that I kind of live by. And one of them was, you know, never lower yourself in an attempt to, it says, don't lower yourself to meet other people, make them rise to meet your level. So when people act a fool, <laughs> they're ugly, like don't become like them. And sometimes that can be really hard, you know? Yes. And so I try my best to raise the vibration instead of lowering it to meet people who are in that place. He also said, never empty yourself to satisfy the emptiness in others. Don't drain yourself trying to, to satisfy the emptiness in others. That's another quote that I, I live by. And he said, never love someone so much that you allow them to destroy you. Mm. And those were all words that have helped me, you know, to have balance in what I do, to, you know, to love myself, to have compassion for myself first. And that mm. allows me to love others more deeply, you know. Yeah. Um, and then I think there were le lessons in the sacred teachings of my tradition, of the Ifa tradition, uh, which is my my faith, my indigenous ancestral faith that I live by. There is also mm -hmm. a lot of teachings that help guide you through life, that help you navigate yeah. life, especially the conflicts, the wars, the you know the real things that can take you off course. And so mm -hmm. some of those wisdoms have really, really helped me to be okay as well. So when I think about advice, mm -hmm. those are also things that. Um, they guide my path. And, you know, my mother, God rest her soul, she always told me this basic rule. Sometimes I've gone, mom, you didn't know what you were talking about, but she would say, <laughs> simply treat others as you want to be treated. Yeah. And, you know, and my, I had the kind of mother that she loved her kids so much, but if you were wrong and then she knew you were doing something wrong, she would tell you the truth. Like she did yeah. not co-sign your cockpit. <laughs> And so, <laughs> I love you know, it. <laughs> Do not, not go like, Oh, baby, you wonderful. You're like, no, that wasn't right. You know. Mm -hmm. And so, I think the ability to recognize and to self not not just self govern, but to analyze self, to know when I can be better in an area, or I could have done something better, and to be able mm -hmm. to go back and say, hey, you know what, Bob, I could have handled that better, and I apologize. Like, I think that is some of the greatest advice that I was ever given um, to be have, you know, accountability for the mistakes because mm -hmm. we're all human. No one is yeah. perfect. We're going to make mistakes in life. So being able to recognize them, honor them and improve is key. Hey, Nanina, my one of my sisters is on here. Nanina hey, hello, Nanina. <laughs> I think Deepep Massey is on here and I see some other friends coming on. So welcome. I'm so glad you could come on. This is Aisela, one of my beloved sistren. Um, and I'm so grateful for our paths. I just want to say, and how we continue to trudge, even if sometimes we haven't been in touch as much as I would love us to be, because I know we're both doing our work, but I'm so happy that spirit has allowed our paths to stay interwoven all these years. Yeah.
too. It's an honor to be in, in part of your circle in any way. So, and I, I, I hold that very dear. Um, and welcome, Nanita. I think I met Nanita one time way back in the day. Yes. And uh, <laughs> so glad your, your po folks are here today. And, you know, some of you said um, in that my, uh, I have a family member, my, maybe my grandmother used to say, you know, be strong enough to be gentle. And oh. in, in that when you are, when you are secure in who you are, and like you said, you've got that rooted groundedness, you can be gentle in the face of the, the challenges and, and the, the cruelties and not, and the other part too, and you you know, don't co-sign caca. I mean, that's mm -hmm. true too. Like love and accountability. It's, and I feel like we've lost a little bit of this in terms of, you know, um, it, it's not attacking someone to say, oh, that it, that comment you made sounds racist to me, or I, I don't agree with this way that we're putting women down. That's not saying a bad thing about you. Yeah. <laughs> it's simply saying this thing that you just did, your behavior, I want to address that. And it's okay for me to address that because your comfort is not more important than mine, right? Like they both, and yet there's this this uh, extremism, I think that that feels mm -hmm. like it needs to be addressed in mm -hmm. being able to have that conversation. I'm, I have been blessed people in my life and in my journey. I was working in coma. Um, who've done that? Who've given me that feedback? Said, oh, you know, I don't know if you notice this, like. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm horrified, humiliated, upset, sad, need to correct. But if people don't tell me, yes. how am I going to move forward? Obviously, I will also mm -hmm. go do my work and read and connect and that. But but there's also that piece of like, you should be grateful. Feedback is a gift. Hi, Monique. Yes, that's my niece. <laughs> yes. And uh, and yeah, I mean that we we have to have that ability to receive that feedback. And, and to be able to like address things and recognize it's not a commentary on someone's overall value. It's simply an acknowledgement that this love and accountability, accountability is part of love, in my opinion. Ashe. So, Ashe. I love that. I love that. Love and accountability is part of love. It's a sacred part of love. You know, being we have to be accountable first to ourselves and then mm -hmm. to the people that we say we care about. And, yeah. and we have to be accountable for the our errors in some mm -hmm. way and that's not about guilt or shame but it's just about you know looking within and taking an, a deep and honest look within mm -hmm. one of the things that i put that when you said what do you want to talk about you could talk about anything yeah <laughs> and one of the things i wanted to talk about and i don't know how much time i'm trying to watch it um was the recent appointment of judge katanji brown i'm so excited about having her on the Supreme Court. I think that, you know, she is an incredible woman. I think that President Joe Biden made a great choice in choosing her. And, you know, and of course it took a lot, just what she showed us when she was enduring that process. Yeah. I tell you, if that's any testimony to the kind of Supreme Court justice she's gonna be, I think she's gonna bring something phenomenal but there's a larger picture to it. And, and I kind of want to weave back. Thank you, yay family. I'm so glad to see you on here, Ia Ominike. Um, and, and, and salute to Taylor Girls Vegan Soul um, and Co-op. Uh, I know we're gonna, we, we're jumping all over, but I want to say food justice is another topic 
I want to mm-hmm. talk about. And I'm really excited about uh, my niece. She has founded an organization to help address food justice and, and poverty and that there are children still in America who don't have food to eat or clean water to drink. And so there's work to be done, a lot of work to, to be done in that area. And then mm-hmm. also Nanina Ra, who does plant-based medicine, mm-hmm. which is so important. You know, we saw um, the loss of several icons, you know, healer icons and holistic med- medicine icons. And so we don't want to lose the way and the wisdom of our beloved ancestors of the indigenous practices of how to heal ourselves. So these are people who are on this show today who are really leading that and doing great work in those areas. I just want to acknowledge them. But I think uh, Supreme Court Justice, I love saying that, Katanji. Me too. (laughs) It sounds so beautiful. There's a, a larger picture to that that is somewhat scary because when we look at the impact that the election and uh, second term election of President Barack Obama and the, you know, we, the things we're seeing now in the world and the hate crimes that we're seeing now in the world you know, directly relate to people's fear around people of African descent being in positions of power. And so I wanted to talk about that today. I did two shows right after the shooting of uh, in Buffalo, New York, on my mm-hmm. own show, The Window, which I would love to have you as a guest on. Absolutely. And, <laughs> yes. And, and so we talked about, like, what is the root cause? What is spiraling, you know, this continued ascension statistically of uh, hate crimes and specifically race bait? hate crimes in America. And we talked about, first of all, the election of President Barack Obama, and now we have a African-American Supreme Court justice. And this fear, you know, this young man who killed 10 people, who murdered 10 people in cold blood in Buffalo, New York, who were doing nothing to anybody, just shopping on a Sunday morning. Yeah. And when he talked about his motivation for those killings and He talked about this whole replacement theory idea. And when we look at misinformation like that, when we look at it, one of the guests on the show talked about this, that this young man was so misguided and we know that he was being spiraled because of the hate rhetoric taking place on some of the online forums, you know, they, they, they were emblazoning and empowering his mindset around this. You know, what can we do to counter misinformation that somebody wants to replace somebody or that people are in danger of being replaced? And what does that really mean? Now, one of the speakers didn't feel that that was the real issue at all and felt that there was still the vestiges and the sickness of, you know, white supremacy and racism that was, you know, the seed of this type of behavior. And that there have been, you know, brutal crimes like this taking place throughout history. Some just as bad, some even worse. And the big question is, because it's not enough to just talk about it. We all know it's horrific, but what are we going to do about it? What is the solution? How can we stop it? How can we counter it? Both from an energetic perspective. So through our good work, through our healing work, through our prayers, but also 
legally? What laws mm -hmm. can we place? You know, uh, what do we need to change in our judicial system? You know, people were like blown away that this kid, unlike many, you know, other black people who were doing horrible things like this, that he was able to walk out of there alive. So there was a lot of comparison to how um, people, black people who commit similar crimes are handled. And they felt like even that is symbolic of what the, the true challenge is. So I wanted to kind of share what I think are some of the solutions to that on your show today. Mm -hmm. um, I definitely think that the social media and online chat rooms that are hotbeds for these kind of discussions should be shut down. I think there should be stronger legal penalties when conversations like that are allowed, you know, because this kid, you know, was buying, uh, what was it? Rifles, you know, uh, mm -hmm. assault rifles. And he was discussing this online that, you know, Twitch as a, a social media platform aired so long before they shut it down, they were airing live his massacre of these people. So the yes. monitoring about things like that needs to improve. Yeah. And finally, I think that, you know, uh, while in Florida, we hear the story about people banning the talk about history, banning any discussion of black history and the things that happen. Yes, I see it. Mike says, what does it say about us as a culture that no one called 911? Exactly. That people were more interested in watching it and viewing it like that's the culture that we have fertilized and seasoned in this nation. So, but I think that we need to have stiffer laws. I think that we need to bring the discussions into the schools, like flip it <laughs> mm -hmm. Start and, and into our homes. Like every family should be sitting down and having discussions about race and racism and, you know, the harmful effects of it and diversity. So not just the negative, but also the celebration of ethnic and cultural diversity, because this mm -hmm. isn't just about race. This is about homophobia. It's about gender oppression. It's, you know, it's about transphobia. So there's layers to the discrimination and the insensitivity, and we need to unweave each one until yeah. we can create a vibration that celebrates people however they express their life, if they're not hurting anybody else. Right. And so I think those are some of the things I want to bring. Thank you. Yes. That, I, I think that's, I mean, it. it's not... It, obviously anybody who's paying attention isn't going to be shocked by what happened. And yet yeah. at the same time, it's so horrifying to me that anybody would ever think that's a solution to anything. Like I, that's the, you know, we, we did a show on, on guns a while back in my other podcast. And I was like, look, I don't know pro gun, anti gun. I'm anti slaughter. Can we move the, to the conversation? Can we stop the slaughter when yes. we stop it being a situation where anyone ever thinks and the fact that someone drove out of their way to kill black people who were shopping it like it, it it's um yes it's unconscionable and and yet it's common and that's the part that i can't quite get into my head yes. um and yet it's that's what's happening so we have to face it yeah. and then and yeah like but the I don't understand the resistance to yes. to saying let's shut down the chat rooms, yes. whatever it is to, you know, yes. somebody starts to plan something violent. 
they get investigated, period, oh. right? Like, it doesn't... Immediately. <laughs> like, like, wouldn't, right. wouldn't that be... I mean, that seems to me like kind of a basic step. And, I, and yet there's this, like, you know... Um, and one of the things that I've been reflecting on is that I think part of the confusion that that folks who are not maybe more affected or personally connected to what's happening um, is that power and privilege are contextual in the personal sense yes. between people, mm. but they are consistent in the systemic sense. Yes. So, and, and folks want to, I feel like folks, especially when, when they're trying to like, maybe not feel so bad. <laughs> they take they take the, the fact that there's a systemic thing and they turn it into a personal thing. Oh, I'm not a bad person. It's like, mm -hmm. nobody was actually talking about you. Wow. <laughs> and, like, wow. like, and it, you know, and so it, it's that, and then, it, and then these things get turned into that when actually systemically that's a violent act against citizens of our country who are like, they should not feel unsafe shopping. Yeah. Like yeah. that's, just like here in Aurora, like a few years ago, oh, you yeah. feel safe going to the movies. And right. yet we do. Like I'm sometimes driving and I'm like, am I going to get shot because I accidentally cut that person yeah. off? Like, right. and I, I don't think that's how we want the world to be, but no. it is the world we're in. Yes. And, and, and if we don't take action, when New yeah. Zealand had that big mass shooting, yes. they immediately banned assault rifles. Yes. Like that, they were just done. But we, done. for whatever reason, we're just not going to, I don't understand it at all. And and thank you for bringing it up. I mean, I I will say um, it seems like every single time uh, people of color start to achieve some kind of success. Yes. I mean, like the Tulsa bombings, like immediately they just get pretty much yeah. shoved down hard and violently by our actual government. Yeah. And so to go back to where you started, the having Katanji uh, Supreme Court Justice Katanji yes. like that feels to me like a bigger step because of that constant wave of like movement towards success and then massive repression, like yes. possibly having a vice president who's a black woman or a woman of color and a, a Supreme Court justice, like possibly we're actually getting some of that institutional support that yes. can help maybe move us a little bit towards yes. where we want to be. That is the hope. That is absolutely the hope. Yes. So... And yeah. it, it doesn't change that where we are right now is so painful. Yes, yes. It took me days. I had watched a video of this woman in Buffalo when she got the news that her son was one of the people who was murdered in the grocery store. It took me days to get her screams out of my head. Yeah. Because, you know, being a mother, being a grandmother, of course, all I, you know, I'm thinking, you know, that could have been my child, you know. Yeah. And, you know, and I thought, too, about, you know, these acts of violence that have taken place and what it has done to the psyche and the spirit of people of African descent when, you know, you can't jog through a park, you can't, you know, sit in your living room eating ice cream. <laughs> yeah. Like sleep in the bed at night after you get off work, Brianna Taylor, you know, you can't get pulled over for a minor traffic violation. You know, all of these things that, you know, Trayvon Martin, you can't go buy some Skittles and walk home from the store, yeah. right? Sleep in your own home. These are all like acts where you think you're going to be safe, 
mm-hmm. and you're not. And what does that mean? And and then I have a question to you know my African American brothers and sisters. It's like until these crimes stop, I'm like we you know there's something else to me. We should be taking a militant approach to mm-hmm. ending this type of violence against you know people in our communities. And yes, our allies. We want and need the support of our allies, and often we do. I will never forget that beautiful scene during the protests for the murder of George Floyd, where there was this band of pregnant women, and they were all not, they were all non people of color, they were all white women. And these women, these is like 15 of them with their big old pregnant bellies, locked hands. Oh, it almost makes me cry every time I think about it but they locked arms in front of the protesters. So we know we have strong allies out there that are doing the work. But what I wanna to say to my black brothers and sisters is every day on your status, while we promoting this and that, and when I see you know, these amazing voices, and I love these celebrities, I won't name any of them. <laughs> <laughs> but when I see them toting their Prada and their Gucci and their this and their that, and I don't see them using their platforms to end this type of violence and to speak out about it and to mobilize. And there's some of them who are and who are participating in it, but not enough. That's part of the problem is that, you know, we're more caught up with wearing a brand on our hip than we are with, you know, ending violence in in our community and against, you know, black people. And so black people have to take responsibility for that as well. And I'm not saying it's, not okay to wear some labels because if you like it, hey, and it makes you feel happy, do it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Hey, Londell. Okay, one of your Colorado fam. Londell, uh, House of Pinky, Pinky Dewberry Juice in the house. Blessings, family. So glad you could come on. But I think uh, you're right, Londell. It's not their priority. They have not made it a priority, and we need to shift that and we need to change that. And we are. That's part of the work that I'm doing. Um, I know you're doing it, Aisla, and uh, and so many others. Somebody said NBA and NFL are over 70% black. That's a lot of bargaining power. App- oh, I love it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and one of my uh, our authors on the Noble Trinity Media publishing uh, catalog, Najee Ali, you know, I, I just bless him and I thank God for his work. He just published a book called Raising Hell. And he is one of those frontline activists that's been doing phenomenal work to end, you know, these types of acts. And one of the things that he said, uh, he not only wrote a book about his work so that other activists would do the work, but Najee called for a boycott of the NFL in support of uh, Colin Kaepernick when he took a knee, you know, and them firing Mm -hmm. him after he took a knee in protest of police brutality. Mm-hmm. And so those are the kind of acts I found that are most effective when we hit people in their pocket, right? Why mm-hmm. did the Montgomery voice bus boycott? Why was it so effective? Because folks stopped making money. And somebody mm-hmm. said, oh, Mikey said, I haven't watched the game since. Well, since they reappointed uh, Colin and gave him his rights to play back, I think people have started watching again. But Najee, you know, like um, because there was, you know, not there were so few brilliant black directors and actors 
who are receiving Oscars. He also did a boycott of, of Hollywood and the Oscars. He asked for all people of color and conscious and their allies not to watch the Oscars that year. And it hit them in their pocket. So this, yes, absolutely. Londell just said it. We have to be willing to be individually uncomfortable. Oh my God, I love that. That is so real. Mm -hmm. All of us, not just black folks, but all of us, you know, we have to take this on and be committed. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and Republicans who call themselves Christian, mm -hmm. who are not on television, you know, I mean, everybody has a right to believe or to embrace whatever political party you feel called to and your values. It's a personal thing. But anybody who doesn't stand up and speak out against murder of innocent people, how can anyone in this country vote for, you know, that platform? And, and it's really hurting their party. You know, um, so many people are have lost faith in and are done with the Republican Party. I've met Republicans who said, yeah. you know, I just can't be a Republican anymore. You know, mm -hmm. one, they put, you know, the T guy, I don't even say his name anymore. I won't even dignify him by saying his name. They put him in office. And two, because, you know, they're backing things that are morally and that are basically inhumane. Mm -hmm. and, and it's not okay. So so these are things that we want to think about. Hey, Cam's blessings family. I think that's Cam, uh, Olarisha, Oshundara fam. Good to see everybody. Yes. Okay. I'm going to go back. I'm listening now. I'm no, ready. I love, I love, no, it's great. I love all the books that show up for you <laughs> and for sure. what you're up to. It's important work. And no, I mean, I think that you, you said it starkly. It, you know, if, if somebody can't speak out against murder, if that's a controversial stance for you to take, then something's wrong there. <laughs> like, I mean, just, it, it feels like that's sort of a basic, I, yeah. I'm against, as I said, slaughter, murder, yeah. um, and the things that, that create that. And, and it's, it's hard to untangle in that the, you know, there's that systemic thing yes. that that pollution of our, of our thinking that we grow up with and have to take off. Yes. And then there's the the personal experiences. And, and so when you talk about allies, like there's yes. there's a lot of people out there that do care and are and are interested and invested yes. in making a difference. Yes. And if if we don't also um, dismantle the systems that create the problem, it, it's sort of like dropping fresh water in the ocean. Like it's fine, yes. <laughs> but but it's not actually going to make the difference we want to make. Yes. Um, it's one of the reasons I really love the. It, uh, media efforts that you go to because I do feel like that's part it's part of why I do the show and mm -hmm. some of the work I do is I just feel like there's a lot out there that is uh, sort of exploitive intended to kind of keep us in that space of despair mm -hmm. and so recognizing like there are other ways there's other information there are other stories that need to be amplified uplifted and disseminated I feel like that's one of the few things we can do that might help to create more opportunity for for real change and I would love if this is a, an appropriate time to hear a little excerpt from your book. Yes, yes, I'm so excited. So I this I talked earlier in the show that this is my seventh book. Here, wait, I have you, I, I brought this up so people will be able to oh, see it. Oh, you're so awesome, thank you. So, yes. you know, it's the image you sent me, it's still a little blurry, but thank so people you. can see. I'll have a link yeah. to like how to connect to all of that in Thank the show you. notes, like when we're done. So people okay. click those, it can go find it. Yes. Awesome. And, and of course I've written a lot of other books. These are some of them, the master breakthrough. I co-wrote this book with 
um, Jacqueline Kennedy, she's on here. It's called Fluid. It's also published by Noble Trinity. And so there's a bunch of stuff. If you go on my website, Aisla is going to um, put the link on there. You can learn more about the work that I do. I also work with an organization called the Anade Foundation. And we're about um, promoting wellness and teaching people to live healthier lives a little bit at a time. None of us are perfect again, <laughs> but mm -hmm. just a little bit of as a, at a time. So I'm excited. I want to take y'all with me. This is a, I call it my sexy novel. I've written a lot of books that uh, are about social justice and social causes. My first book, The Seer, was centered around human trafficking. My second book was centered around the backdrop of police brutality. And though my third book does have a social value, social justice value, because it's centered around the opioid crisis in America, which if y'all been watching the news, you know that kids are dying out there, um, that people are, you know, taking a hit of what they think is marijuana and ending up dead because it's laced with fentanyl. And it is very, very serious. In fact, I posted on my social media recently, you know, how can they not get baby formula in America, but they can get fentanyl here. Something's really out of whack. So this book is about the effects of the opioid crisis, the effects of drug trafficking. And again, I don't have any problem with anybody, you know, enjoying their marijuana, their 420. That's your business, right? But what I'm worried about is people dying from drugs that they did not know they were being given and the systematic placement of drugs, killer drugs in communities of color and conscience. So that's what this book is about the sheep and the wolves. And it talks about the people. Oh, thank you. Asantabu is on here. Alafia, more Colorado fam in the house. Good to see you, family. So this book, uh, it says that it centers around the character Sheba Ransom, a woman driven by a quest for unlimited money, street credibility, and mind-blowing sex. And after the sudden and unexpected death of her mother, Sheba meets and marries mob henchman John Henry Carter, who takes over where her mother left off in teaching her the wolf philosophy. Shiva loves the fast-paced life of being married to a mobster, but when their marriage starts to fall prey to the lifestyle, Shiva decides to get in on the game. As they are immersed deeper into the crime world, John Henry copes with the pressure by succumbing to the temptations of unscrupulous women who want in on the game. Sheba's morals increasingly slip as getting money starts to drive every decision she makes. So you're going to have to read the book. I'm going to try not to do any spoilers, but I want to do a little excerpt uh, from the book. And this is chapter 14. All right. Sheba wished she could hit the rewind button and start the whole night over again. She was about to commit an act of betrayal so great that if it ever came out, she could lose the one person she cared about more than anyone in the world. Rebecca was DeAndre's first love, the girl he promised to marry when the time was right. DeAndre is Sheba's son. She had been, been a virgin when they met. Dee Dee's organ was the only flesh that had ever touched her. Becca was the kind of girl who volunteered for Habitat for Humanity on the weekends. 
She didn't even smoke an occasional joint like regular people. If Sheba refused, if she turned down the Godfather's request, she would forfeit a deal that could position her to knock John Henry off his throne for good. She would get it all back, everything she lost, but at what cost? Maybe this, Rebecca's weakness, needed to be exposed. I mean, if she gave in and slept with the Godfather, that was proof that she couldn't be trusted. And if she couldn't be trusted, they needed to know now, not later when Dee Dee was raking in the millions as an NFL star. With all they'd be lost or gained, Sheba prayed still that Becca had snuck out of the back door. She fantasized that her son's girlfriend had broken out in hives and had to be rushed to the hospital. But when she opened the door to the family room, Rebecca was sitting there on the sofa watching VH1 and munching on popcorn. TV's working now. I had accidentally pressed the power button on the cable box. That's good, Rebecca. I need to talk with you about something. It's very important. Sure, Mama Sheba, you want me to cut the TV off? That would be best. Sheba sat down next to her, took a deep breath, and transformed into the wolf she was. You remember when I told you I had a really important meeting tonight? Rebecca nodded and swallowed some iced tea to wash down her corn. Well, that man in there is a notorious drug dealer. He's here because of one of Dee Dee's friends got caught slinging in his territory. The kingpin, he, he knew my mother. He came by to talk to me about some things. He's going to kill Dee Dee's best friend if we don't do something. Oh, my God. What can I do to help him? Does he want money? I can call my parents. And... No, he has lots of money. He wants something he doesn't have. I'll do anything to help Dee Dee's friend. I'm really glad to hear you say that. One day, you're going to be Dee Dee's wife, and I need to know that if he was in danger, you could keep him safe. Tonight, I'm going to test you. I need you to put on your big girl panties and do something for me. Sure, Mama, ransom anything. I need you to close your eyes, open your legs, and let Kingpin hit it. Now, he's old and it won't take long. <laughs> You're kidding, right? It's either that or he's going to kill Dee Dee's best friend. I mean, under these circumstances, I think Dee Dee would understand you cheating on him. I want to help, but I can't do that, Mama Sheba. I just can't. Fine. When, when we're at the funeral, you be sure to tell Dee Dee why his best friend is lying there dead. Rebecca started crying. I don't even know him. She was choking and gagging. Tears were pouring down her face. Oh, my God, I think I'm going to throw up. Calm down, Becca. This really isn't a big deal. I mean, for a couple minutes and it'll be over. And then I'll take you shopping for a new Gucci backpack and you'll forget it ever happened. You'll be saving Dee Dee's best friend's life. Tearfully, Rebecca said, well, he has to wear a condom. She was smiling. Of course he does. Now you go in my room and get undressed. I'll send him in in about five minutes. Wipe your eyes and remember what I told you. Pretend you like it and it'll go a lot faster. Rebecca stood up and headed toward Sheba's bedroom. She stopped at the door. Mama Ransom, promise you won't tell Dee Dee about this? You have my word. Sheba walked at a snail's pace back to the living room. The godfather's henchman had come back inside. 
The Godfather looked up to her and waited for an answer to his request. She's ready for you. Make sure you wear a condom and be easy on her. The Godfather rose from the couch. Shiva took his hand and led him to her bedroom. The henchman followed closely. When they got to her bedroom, Shiva stopped him. Three things. One, I take over the Manhattan Beach region with a 70% cut. Two, my security guys are on your police officer's payroll. And three, you're extra gentle with Rebecca. The godfather stuck out his hand. Deal. And I'm going to need your mercs to wait outside by the car until you're finished. No problem. He turned to his henchman. Go get some food for you and the men. If I'm not out in two hours, come get me. The godfather walked down the hall like he lived there, like he was used to sleeping with strange women in other people's homes. Sheba opened her bedroom door, saw Rebecca's clothes folded neatly on the chair. Rebecca was in the bed with the covers tucked under her naked chin. She looked so young and innocent laying in the center of Sheba and Raymond's humongous bed. Without a word, Sheba left him there. Her feet felt as heavy as lead as she trotted down the hall to wait for him to finish doing his business. 10 nail-biting minutes later, 10 nail-biting nail -biting minutes had gone by when Sheba's bladder forced her to visit the lavatory. She dashed down the hall to the guest bedroom. The moment she flushed, she heard someone call her name. She yanked her undies up, rolled her dress down and darted out in the hall. In the hallway, her son DeAndre was standing at her bedroom door, knocking and yelling, Mama, guess what? We won. We won the championship. Mama, can I come in? In her mind, she'd stopped him from walking into the horrific scene going down in her bedroom. In real time, her feet were stuck, frozen by the fear that her baby boy was getting ready to know what his mother had let happen. By the time she snapped back to the real world, it was too late. DeAndre was already in the room. I'll stop there. Wow. So if you want to know what happened <laughs> when DeAndre went in that room and saw his girlfriend sleeping <laughs> with Kingpin, you got to get she in the <laughs> It's hot. I want to warn y'all. It's some real hot scenes in this book. It's also a social message. Hey, J.M. Glover, blessings, family. But the, De Londale said, what? You going to stop there? <laughs> is this business is unusual. So, you, you know. It's unusual. So um, please support family. You can buy the book on Amazon.com. You can also buy it at, of course, officialtashiasanti.com or nobletrinityenterprises.com. So thank you. Questions, thoughts, anything. We we'll love love y'all's feedback. Oh, I, I mean, I I hear it is like, wait, 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 wait. Click the link. Click the link. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. And I'll get that in the in the notes so folks can uh, easily get it. I mean, obviously, a lot of thank folks you. know you already. So, but just to make sure there's a little redundancy there. So, as always, love your writing. Um, Mikey wants to know, this is a good question. Oh. Uh, what What's the best way, you know, what do you get the uh, most out of? Of course, going through my website is the best mm -hmm. way. As y'all know, Amazon, yeah, they take a lot from independent writers. 
Um, yeah. I'm with an independent publisher, but um, but you know it gives us the visibility that we need for our our books and our brand to go global. So that's why a lot of us publish with Amazon because it puts you on the international platforms. But yes, oh thank you, Santamu said she read it. Fabulous. Thank you so much. I appreciate the support and I love you. Yes. We definitely need some spice in our activism. Yes. So <laughs> it's good escapism for sure. Oh wow. Damn clever says don't stop. Don't stop. <laughs> and if that's who I think it is, uh, if that's Azan Kamal, just want to, you know, give you mad love for all of the work you do and have done in the publishing industry. Um, if that's Azan, they started a Glover Lane Press. And I had the great privilege and gift of working with them on many books. In fact, I think I have one of them here. Oh, actually, it's on the bookshelf. But we did two anthologies. One we did, uh, which was about the bullying. We did an anthology, mm -hmm. Letters to My Bully. And oh, okay. people from across the world wrote letters to the people who bullied them. Because sometimes we never get a chance to speak out about the trauma and the injury that we face, whether it was a bullying of someone in school or if it was racism, you know, if we encounter what they call in the community a Karen, you know, mm -hmm. um, those are all forms of bullying. And so sometimes we never have the opportunity to speak out about it. And it's very healing to be able to write those letters. So I believe that book is still available on amazon.com. It was a limited uh, distribution, but it's back up. You can also get that book there. And uh, yeah, we're really excited. Another book that's going to be out, Raising Hell by Najee Ali. Please support that book. We're having a big event in Los Angeles uh, to celebrate it and to celebrate, you know, 30 years of activism by Brother Najee. He worked on the cases of Trayvon Martin and Mike Brown. He was the reason that Reverend Al Sharpton and many others got involved in the fight for justice in those, for Sandra Bland, for George Floyd. Um, he, you know, has dedicated his work and life into fighting that. And so um, we're putting out Noble Trinity Enterprises, really proud to publish his book. Pat Munson, we're also getting ready to publish her book, which is a book called Out of Tragedy Comes Triumph. And so she's talking about, you know, overcoming homophobia, overcoming religious extremism, overcoming, you know, sexual abuse and incest to be healed enough to do her work and to tell her story. Um, so those, you know, look for those coming out in the uh, mm -hmm. over the summer and into the fall. We have some other writers. And if you have written a book, Aisla, I know you have about 10 books inside of you. <laughs> No, I have, I have one. I promised you an outline. I, it's, oh. a, it's, it's called Catching Jellyfish, and I'll uh, oh. send you the... <laughs> that is a great title. Yeah, it's a story of uh, how... Yeah, I'll, I'll send you a thing. We'll see. Okay. But yeah, I definitely have some things that I feel ready, finally, to, to get out there. Yes, um, we, would we would be and, honored uh, to support you in that. Yes. Because I... That, Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I will definitely share that. And then you, you, um, so you've shared your events, which is awesome. And then the other thing is, what's the best way for folks to get involved with what you're up to? Like, do, if they want to participate in, act, obviously, 
they could buy your book and read that, but mm -hmm. if they want to, you know, be more involved or what are their options? Mm -hmm. Well, I tell you, The Sheep and the Wolves is part of a three book series. And they all center around this character called Violet Brown, who is a psychic. Hmm. And Violet Brown always comes in to help people heal, to get them in touch with their truth and to utilize her indigenous and ancestral medicine to heal people and make the planet better. Um, so I tell you, I always like for people to read The Seer, get The Seer, that's a way to really support and then buy Bones Do Talk, which is the second book in the sequel, in the series, and then The Sheeps and the Wolves. So you will understand these characters because some of the characters come back in later books. Mm -hmm. So it's really, really fun to read and make that connection. In terms of my community work and as an organizer, absolutely, you know, come out. We're going to do a, a healing racism series. I found an organization called the Healing Racism Academy because I found that a lot of people really didn't know how to heal both themselves from racism and not just black people, but our allies. Because, mm -hmm. you know, racism affects everybody. It's, it hurts everybody. Yeah. So I'm going to be doing a series uh, with that. And uh, and then we're also going to be doing a whole wellness summit, plant-based medicine wellness summit. Kind of speakers like Nanina Rod, DJ Cavum, um, Darnisha Harrison, who founded the Innate Foundation. So definitely get involved on that level. Um, they can watch your show. They can share this podcast. Please, if you're watching now, if you're watching the replay, or if you're watching live, share the link. Tell people about this podcast. It's a wonderful platform for our healing and empowerment. And just support any and everything that brings light to the planet, that you know uplifts people. I always say, make spaces better than they were mm -hmm. when you got there. That's that's all we can do, you know. And and our work can look any kind of way. I remember Ramona Africa told me when I asked her, "What could I do to support you?" She said, "Send me some carrot juice." I was like, "What?" <laughs> She's like, "Make sure it's organic," <laughs> you know. So something as simple. I have a, a godchild in Colorado named Rory. Every time I come to town, she brings me freshly baked bread and mm. green juice. And I can't tell you how much that means to me because you know sometimes you forget when you're running to do that self-care. Mm -hmm. Take care of the activists. Um, you can also donate to support the Innate Foundation and the work that we're doing around healing. We're planting gardens. We're empowering people. We're teaching them how to grow food, how to heal themselves with plant-based medicine. So you can support that work. We have a uh, fundraising campaign going right now at www.innatefoundation.com. So all ways you can get involved and support, but just like I said, at the end of the day, make spaces better. Be a bringer of peace, of harmony, mm -hmm. where there is conflict, where there is, oh, thank you. Thank you, Mikey. <laughs> I appreciate that. Said he just bought one book for him or them, I'm not sure it's a he or a she, and sending one to my mom down in Birmingham. Now, warn your mom. <laughs> no, don't warn her. <laughs> Get that phone call. <laughs> it's a little uh, spicy, so warn your mom, because I wanted to read that first chapter and go, son, what did you send me? Are you trying to tell me something? <laughs> because it will spice up your, your, your journey. 
Um, yeah. So <laughs> he says no. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, but this is uh, please, please share the video, fam. Tell everybody about business as unusual. I love a podcast that is shifting paradigms that is literally changing the vibration on the planet because every time you do one of these shows, all of the people who are touched, they then touch others. The rippling effects are felt all over the globe. So if we all do our part, the planet is going to continue to heal and be elevated. And we give thanks. Ashe. This is Mikey has a podcast. So this is him inviting you on. Oh, I would love to. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Please reach out. Isa has all of my contact information. So I would love to be a guest on your show. Yeah. And we all rise together to just follow. That's the that's the world. I I think back to being a young person and just feeling like things were wrong that that it and I kept trying to make myself fit. I kept trying to be okay with things. I was like I I think it's it doesn't feel right, but obviously like I'm an alien. Mm -hmm. And I finally was like, "Oh, wait a minute. Actually, it's okay because I'm, I'm, I'm with well, the way that I am. Actually, I like that. And yes. It, and it's not, I, I want to be in community. I'd rather have less so others can have more. I don't feel like it has to be one way or another. Yes. And in that, um, and it can't like create that without accepting that it's it's okay that it like she was saying it's not just about being uncomfortable it's about recognizing that i can't fit in and also be true to myself mm -hmm. and i want us all to rise together and yes. so uh i'm honored to be like i said part of your circle and to um and to support mikey and wayne in the bin <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and getting the word out there so thank you uh thank you for being here today is there anything else that before we go that you want to share or no, I think we we covered everything on the list and I'm just I just want to pray, you know, and set intentions for the healing of our planet, the healing of our oceans and for us as a people to evolve and move into a space of light and love and understanding. And I always say, you know, we may not be unified but we can respect each other. We don't have to be exactly alike. We don't yeah. have to think or be exactly alike. In fact, our diversity is part of our richness. It's part of our wealth. Yeah. But we can coexist peacefully and respectfully. That's all we need to live on the planet together. And I, I also set intentions for the continued redistribution of wealth that Flint, Michigan has clean drinking water and that everyone has an opportunity to be the best that they can be in a lifetime. And that's the intention. And I say, Ashe, 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 which is a Yoruba word that means, may it be so. But it's not Ashe. only a word. And when we speak that word, Ashe, we understand it's not just a word. It is an invocation of mm -hmm. all the positive forces in the world to support the statement that was just made. So when I say Ashe, I am calling on our ancestors. Dr. Herschel D. Wallace, Florence McGaw, Dolores Lewis, Jan Thomas, 
Eleanor Chias, Ernest McGaw. I'm calling on my ancestors. I'm calling on the Orishas, Shango, Batalao, Shun, Yamaja, Oya, Babaluaye, Oya, calling on them to bring peace and healing to the planet, Oshun. And so it is. And so we are. Continued blessings. And may this podcast continue to touch people all over the world and have so many viewers that your system can barely handle it. It's already done. Thank you for having me. Ashe. Thank you for being here. Ashe. Ashe. Bye, everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Until next Thank time. You Thank you. There's noble.